Today we're going to be teaching on um, the real deal and how the big deal can be the real deal and how does the real deal become the big deal. Uh, I, don't, I don't know about you guys, but I find that it's so unbelievably difficult to uh, try to describe how do you live an authentic life in a world that seems so fake? How do you live an authentic life in a world that just seems to have some other solution for you? I mean, we tend to live in a world where what we, what we do so well is we see what is wrong and then we just attack it. We see somebody who's made a mistake, and then we just go attack them. What we do is we find somebody who doesn't think like us, dress like us, look like us, and then we find something wrong with them. I think I've told you that in a recent study that Dartmouth University did, I say in the recent, the last couple of years, that we find seven things wrong with somebody before we find one thing right with that person. I mean, that's, that's just weird. So if you're here today, you've already found that I do seven things wrong, and I may not have gotten to the one right yet. You might only be on number six, but this is kind of built into our nature. Well, what I have found is that in the Christian world and in, in the church world, what we're really good at is we, we're good at putting on the face or the action of a Christian. And in our typical westernized society, we have tried to figure out as we do that, how can I make sure that I get credit from people for being a good Christian, which by the way, kind of defeats the entire process of being a Christian. Are you with me? Now, if you were thinking that and you heard me say that and instantaneously somebody other than you came up in the photo in your brain, this sermon's for you. Because often what we do is we like to talk about somebody else is not authentic. We use authentic today for all kind of ridiculous words. It's like trying to convince somebody you're relevant proves you're not. If you're trying to convince somebody you're authentic, you might not be. But authentic life in Christ has such a unique meaning. Paul is writing in the second chapter of Ephesians. So if you have your Bible or a device, a tablet or phone, pull that up. It's in the New Testament. You're always welcome to use the table of contents around here. Uh, most of the folks around here do. It's no big deal. Find the book of Ephesians. And then it's the second chapter. We'll be in the first 10 verses today. And we really do want to talk about how does the big deal become the real deal? And how do you live an authentic life in such a fake world? Well, listen to what Paul writes. Once you were dead. Now, if you're the kind of person who, who underlines or circles, then take once you were dead and put one big oval around it or one underline there. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us, and that's another three words, underline or circle, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So let's just stop. Because what we find there is we find a couple of phrases that are big in helping us figure out what it is to live an authentic life. First, the recognition that once we were all dead. Now, this is what he's trying to describe. Paul is trying to say he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to people who have already chosen to give their life to Christ and to allow and have asked Christ to come into their life. And, and to live for Christ. So these are the people who have already said, Jesus, I need you. 
Come, come forgive me. Come live in my life. But he's saying to, to them and to others who haven't done it, and he's trying to say, all of us started at the same place. Nobody had a head start with Jesus. Nobody had a head start in the Christian life. Nobody had an automatic demeanor to think that way. He's saying all of us started out dead. Now, let's get the picture of what he's trying to say when he says dead. Paul is saying that once we were all dead, and then he tells us why. Because of our transgressions, or some of your translations say because of disobedience, and then the big one is, and many sins. So Paul is making this big, big thought that every single one of us, going all the way back to Adam and Eve, we were born with a nature to sin. Now, some of us would say, but Chuck, I'm a good guy. I don't have a nature to sin. Yeah, you you really do. I would like to consider myself a relatively good dude. You know, I know a lot of people that disagree with that, but the fact is, I started just like you, like every human on the planet, all the way back to Adam and Eve when they chose to let sin enter into God's perfect world. From that point on, it's in us. We're born with the nature of sin. And Paul is saying that nature causes you to be spiritually dead. Now, don't miss this because this is a very big deal for the rest of these nine verses. When Paul talks about being dead, he's not talking about just spiritual death. What he's trying to describe is spiritual death to the degree that it feels like literal, physical death. So back uh, maybe in the mid-90s, I was eating uh, at a restaurant on Memorial Drive in Stone Mountain. I heard one of that terrible sound of, of cars crashing. And you could tell, man, it was not a good situation. And I looked out there, and several of the people in the restaurant, we all went out to try to help the people in the car. And so the car I got to had a mom there, and she was barely coherent. The only thing she could say to me was, help my son. So I went around the other side, and there's about 11 or 12-year-old boy. And when I got there and I could touch him, it was the immediate understanding that that was death. That there was nothing that could be done to shock that kid back to life. He was physically dead. And when you're physically dead, there is nothing that people can do that you can respond to. There's nothing you can do because death now has been completely separated from what just moments before was life. And what Paul is trying to say in this verse is all of us started dead dead in our sins and disobedience to God. Now you say, but Chuck, wait a minute. If I don't even know God, I don't even know if I believe in a God yet, how can that be? Well, now watch this. God, our creator and sustainer of all life, his design for your life and mine is that it's perfection. So if we're an archer and we've got our bow, we got our arrows, and there is the target, and we draw back and we let the arrow go, and we miss not just the center of the target, but the whole thing, what happened? We missed the target. The picture that Paul is saying is because we're dead in our sins, we have missed God's target of perfection in our life. Here's a question. Any of you were perfect this week? Anybody? Any perfection? Anybody nailed it this week? Got it all right? I know. So when you look around and you think, so Paul was right. Here we are, and we're dead, spiritually dead, to the point that we get it's like physical death. There's nothing we can respond with. We're dead. And then he goes on and says in verse 4, after just saying, just like everyone else, he says, but God is so rich in mercy. That is a big but right there. But God is so rich in mercy. So in other words, those first four, four verses, 
That's, if you're a follower of Jesus today, that's your past. Today, if you've come in here and you've never chosen to follow Jesus, that's your present. But now watch this. The beauty of God is that in his love for you, he will never leave you where you're at. He, was always, he will always carry you to where you are supposed to be. So what we find here is after all that bad news, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ. Now let's just stop. So everything we knew about we were dead in our sins All of us were there. Nobody had an escape clause until God came and said, I've got a plan, but God. And then he goes on and says, but God in his mercy. Now, mercy is a big part of trying to figure this authentic life. Why is it such a big deal to know the real deal so that you might could live the authentic life in such a fake world? It is the understanding of mercy that is outpoured. Let's just say in your neighborhood, there's a little four-year-old on a bicycle, and his mom had to just run in the house for a minute, and so he had kind of gotten his bicycle, and he's kind of out on the side of the road, and I come riding through there in my truck, and I'm, I'm texting like I shouldn't, or I'm fiddling around with the radio like I shouldn't, and I hit and I kill that child. Well, number one, I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to serve an appropriate amount of time, whatever that may be, according to the law. I'm going to pay a fine according to the law. And after I've paid my fine and after I've served my time, I come back. And the law has said, you've done your time. Here's the problem, though. According to the law, I've received forgiveness. But watch this. That mom and dad, that's another story, isn't it? That's a whole nother story because if you're that mom and dad and I've done that because of my negligence, there is something that is required. The only possible way for you to forgive me, no matter how much time I spend in jail, the only way for you to forgive me is to say that you're going to pour out enough mercy and say, even though, Chuck, you did that and you did that and and it wounded us and it hurt us and it caused my child's life, I'm going to pour out mercy and forgive you, which by the way, I don't think I could do for you but that is exactly what God did for you. He came along and said, but God, because of his mercy and love, because of you and your sin, my son had to die on a cross, but God loves you so much that he poured out his mercy and love. Parents will ask me every now and then, they'll say, "Uh, Pastor, how, how how do I know my little boy or my little girl is ready to be baptized or ready to give their life to Christ? And I'll say the same thing every time. Listen, when a boy, a girl, or an 80 year old or eight year old can articulate between their heart and their head the fact that it was my sin, their own sin, that caused Jesus to have to die, that child's ready. You say, well, it's got to be more complicated than that. If it's not more complicated than that for you, why would it be more complicated for that than a kid? You say, but, but Chuck, how could it have been my sin? Because the scriptures tell us we once were all dead. But God came along dead in our sin and said, I'm not asking you to get your junk together. I'm going to pour out my mercy so that you can have my life. 
Listen to verse 5. That even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. Go all the way down to verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now watch this. There we were all on the same plane. And God looked at us in our sin and said, but I love them. So I'm going to pour my mercy and my love out, and I'm going to send my son to die for them, that his blood might be shed, that he might be buried in a borrowed tomb, that he might raise from the dead three days later. And by faith, they believe in my son that he's come to give them freedom from their sins and give them life. This is what God says. It's not because of anything you can do. It is always because of what he's already done. I know a lot of folks that do a lot of good things, but they wouldn't know Jesus from a ball in tall grass because it's not about what you do. It's about who does that through you. It is not about all the good that people pack you on the back. It is about what God does within you and the spirit of God that lives within you and says, that's my boy, that's my girl. So you look at what this but God means in the middle of trying to live an authentic life. And the first, the first thought is this. We have most definitely been called to an authentic life from sin. You say, well, Chuck, listen, okay, Paul's concerned that we understand, as Christians, we're possessors of the power of God. But I'm not sure we Christians understand that. You see, if you read those first 10 verses, one of the big ahas that come out of it is this one concept, that you don't just get Jesus for heaven, you get all the power of Jesus for today. What is the greatest power on earth? What did that little boy in the car need more than anything? And that's resurrection power. What we are in desperate need of to live an authentic life in the power of Christ is to recognize that Jesus himself took all that power, all that grace, all that mercy, all that love, all that forgiveness, and he loaded it all up and he poured it into you called mercy in in love. And the Lord said, you can be exalted and sit with me by the right hand of the Father because I'm giving you everything. And I'm afraid as Christians we say, yeah, but you know, I I got a bad headache this morning. I fear as Christians, especially in our westernized American world, I'm afraid it's, it's like, well, you know, I get all that, Chuck, but let's face it. Jesus is not in my line of business. But here's the business he is in. He's in the people business to pour out mercy and grace and love and forgiveness. I've never known a business that couldn't grow from that. I've never known a person that couldn't grow in that. I've never known a person that could have all of the resurrection power over death itself come live and reside in them in the presence and the gift of Jesus that didn't matter in their everyday life. When I look at this and I think about this, I think to myself, this is, the, this is the, pesh, uh, the part of Scripture that says that could have been your past. It doesn't have to be present, but your future can be unbelievable. When we take the real, realization that salvation is from sin. 
So if you look, there's an equation that we want to put together on the screen for you that I think will really help us grasp what this truly looks like. Number one, I want you to truly know what is salvation from? It's from sin. Salvation is from sin. If you've been at church, you've heard somebody talk about getting saved or salvation. You're like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know what it's about. This is what it's from. If we're all at the same place where we're all dead in our sins and our trespasses and and our disobedience and our sin, everybody's there, then God the Father looks at his creation and says, I'm going to give you the gift of salvation found in Jesus my son that you might find salvation, one, from sin. Look at the bottom one. The bottom one is good works. You see what scripture's making perfectly clear in your life and mine is this. If all we're trying to do is good works without the gift of God from sin, we're wasting our time. If we're giving a check for a million bucks, but the motivation isn't Jesus, he would say, keep the money. I'm pretty sure I'd take it, but he'd say, keep the money. But if salvation is from sin, what is it that that gets me out of that? How do I get out of that death? Well, by the love of God. But God, rich in his mercy, knowing that mercy is something you cannot buy, you cannot barter for, and you cannot earn in a wage. You cannot do it. When we look and say, okay, wait a minute, we are all in need of salvation from sin, then we're all in need of the love of God to get us out of that death because out of that death state, we are death walkers waiting for his love. Now watch this. He goes from calling us out of our death. Remember when he he called out Lazarus? You remember that story? Lazarus has been dead for four days. And, and, and his family is just totally ticked off at Jesus that he hasn't already gotten there to help Lazarus. Lazarus is dead. He's been, in the, he's been in the tomb for four days. He's wrapped up in burial garments, and he smells. And Jesus walks up, and it's like, guys, calm down. And he says, Lazarus, come out of here. And Lazarus comes walking out, you know, and he's got, his, he's got the burial stuff on. And you know what Jesus says? He doesn't say, dude, you smell. I mean, he looks at Lazarus and he tells everybody, get those burial clothes off of him. And you know what he says? Turn him loose. I believe God has called us from sin into love that we might have a life where he turns us loose. That we are a part of something that is bigger than we could ever imagine. From sin, by love, into life. But you know, there's this one phrase in that text that says that we have angered God, that when we're disobedient, that when we run the opposite direction of all that God has for us, that we anger God. And, and other parts of the scriptures, we hear about how anger is a sin. How does that work? Well, now, how many of you are parents? Raise your hand. How many of you are parents? Great. How many of you have parents? Very good. Nobody in here came from an egg. Good. Uh, watch this now. We have six daughters. When they do something stupid, it simultaneously breaks my heart and angers me. And yet, I've never stopped loving them. No matter what degree of stupid it was, no matter how ill thought it was, 
I love them. They're my daughters. Imagine us when Jesus says, I've come to give you salvation from sin, away from sin. I've come to do that in my great love for you, that you might live a life that is extraordinary and beyond anger. You don't have to live in death anymore. You see, when, when I look at this and I think to myself, how could it be that a people could look at a God that pours out mercy and love and a gift for us that we might have life and abundance and we might have life eternal. And yet we've missed that target so completely. So I look at that and I think, wait a minute, if salvation is from sin, if salvation comes by love, if salvation has called us into life, then what is it that that life is supposed to lead us to? It is to lead us to purpose, great purpose in our life. What is the purpose that we have called from sin by love into life? What is the purpose? Is that not where we get totally freaked out? Because in our human ways, our thoughts are, well, our purpose is that everybody would think like us, look like us, act like us, and worship like us. But the purpose that we find in the text here doesn't say that everybody is supposed to act and think like us. It doesn't say everybody is supposed to be Methodist or Baptist or Southern Baptist or Episcopal. It comes out with this one unbelievably overwhelming picture that Jesus is who is going to give us that life, that we've been called from sin, that we've been called to his purposes, and his purposes are really clear in the New Testament, that we are to love God with all our heart, our mind, and our soul. We're to love others as we love ourselves, and the way we're to love ourselves is the way Christ loves us. And so when you look at this, you say, but wait a minute, Chuck, what you're saying then is, if I've been called away from sin, and if I've been called by love, and I've been given a life, what then is the purpose? Listen to verse 8. Are you ready? God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Are you ready? Here you go. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So when you look at that, you say, well, my job then is to go good things. No, 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 no. Watch this. We do good things because we are loving a God who gave us life. We get to do, do good things, not because the brain says it, not because the world likes it, but if you go back to the equation, what you find is we do good things because through faith we find purpose in our life. So if you start at the top again, we need his salvation. Why? We're all sinful. Well, how do we get out of that mess? We accept his gift, his love, the mercy that he extends to us. And from that, we are called into life. What kind of life? A life that is filled with purpose and, and absolutely a Jesus-filled, Jesus-centric life. This is why what we do makes a difference. This is why when you're at the PATH Project and you're volunteering, you're doing it in the name of Jesus. When you fill a backpack, you're doing it in the name of Jesus. When you serve at Lanier, you're doing it in the name of Jesus. When you're helping a kid read down at Sycamore, you're doing it in the name of Jesus. 
Did you know that part of what you serve as a church in, in Los Angeles today? Today is their first day they've had to have two services. They're baptizing 17 people today in two services with 500 people, a church plant only a year and a half old in Burbank, and you got to be a part of that. This is life at its best. 17 people you will never, ever know have chosen to follow Jesus because you did what he called you to do. This is the purpose. How incredible is that? That we have been called in that to this purpose. And that purpose is not for us to take credit for it, not for the name Sugar Hill Church to take credit for it, but for the glory of God that we might be about the purpose he has for us. And then I think about that and I say, well, how do I miss it? How is it that I, that I can find myself completely entangled in a life that says, Chuck, just fake it till you make it? Because when you go back to being called from sin by love into life with purpose through faith, that faith continues to grow. That's why there's 40 plus adult groups for you to be a part of to, to grow in faith. Why would I grow in faith? So that we can do the good works he has planned for us to do so many years ago. You say, well, Chuck, I don't know what those good works are. Watch this. How do I figure it out? Well, the first step is this. I need salvation from sin. I want to receive by love God's gift. I, I want to step into a life that has great purpose, and yet in great purpose, I can grow by faith, and Christ can enlarge in my life, and God can become the central part as he sits on the throne of my heart, and then the works that I do, it's not about my goodness, it is about his work through me. Now watch this, if one plus one equals two, when we get God in that mix, one plus him could be anything. Because you see, the scriptures say that apart from him, I really can't do anything. The only thing good within me is the ability to convey Jesus and Jesus alone. This is why it's not about a rule. It's why it's not about a church. It's why it's not about a denomination. This church is a Jesus is enough church. Because when we get him right, everything else will get right. So you look at it and you say, well, Chuck, if salvation is from sin, by life, by love, into life, with purpose, and I can grow through faith, and the result is that the good works are not in my head, but they're in my heart, and it's the motivation, then is that the gospel of Jesus? Yes. And it's available to every one of you. And watch this. Jesus did it. It's not your goodness. It's not our works unless any one of us would boast about how good we are. It's a faith, and faith is simply believing. By the way, none of us are done with these works yet. None of us are done in the faith-growing world yet. None of us are done finding about new mercies every day. None of us are done about God extending his love and grace in our life. We're not, we're not done. But you know, some of us have never started. And today I want to invite you to just take this simple equation and say, this is my prayer. Jesus, take me from sin. And, and by your love, give me a new life. Give me a life that's filled with purpose. And I want my faith to grow so that those good works are what you're doing 
so that one plus one could equal so much more than two. My friend, some of you in here, you did that 40 years ago, and you've parked all that faith, and you haven't grown at all, and you, you know it in your soul that you're just waiting on heaven. What a miserable existence to just sit and wait on heaven when God has promised every single power that Jesus has, he wants you to have. We are here when we worship, we are here to exalt the name of Jesus. And watch this, this passage says that he then will exalt you and let you sit by the right hand of the Father with him. Every resurrection power he has, he wants to extend to you. So maybe you've already said, Jesus, I want to trust you with that. Maybe you've already got all that power, but maybe you've just squashed it down and life has just robbed you of that joy. But it could be that you're in here today and you've said, I've heard it, but Chuck, I've never understood it and I, I want to deal with that. Then let's pray about it. Lord God, thank you. This is, uh, this is your day and we've come to be glad and gracious in it. Lord, I know there are folks in this room who gave you their life years and years ago. And Lord, there's no good, good works that's coming out of them. They've just kind of, kind of fallen to the wayside. Would you awaken them that they might understand that they really have, like all the rest of us, been, been given life and forgiveness from our sin so that we might have purpose and our faith might grow and those good works would be seen as God works, not our works. Yeah, Lord, I know there are folks in this room who have never done this. Not one time have they ever settled in their life, or maybe they're questioning if they ever have right now. And they say, you know, Chuck, I, that's what I need. That's what I want. I don't know how to articulate it, but I, I want that new life. I, I don't want to be dead in my sin. I want to be alive. But I want God to bring me to life. I want my life to have purpose, and I want those good works for the Lord to count in my life. And if that's the desire of your heart today, it's just as simple as saying, just, matter of fact, you can just follow with me in this prayer time. You can just say, Jesus, please forgive me. Clean me up, make me new. Thank you for dying for me and raising from the dead because of my sin. I want, I, I want, I want to have a life of purpose. I want to turn my life around. I want to live for you. And just say, Jesus, thank you for hearing me. Thank you for answering that prayer for me today. I wouldn't embarrass you for anything, but every head is bowed and every eye is closed. If today you prayed that prayer with me and just said, yeah, I'm, that's, that's me, I'm in. Just raise your hand. Let me see who you are. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lord, you are a more than gracious and wondrous God. You looked upon us while we were dead in our sin. And in your incredible mercy, you poured out love that we might have life. Lord, I am so grateful that you, you call us to a life of passion and of purpose. That we might through faith grow to be more and more like you. That we might take our life and we surrender it to you. That we might let you be in charge so that the works that happen are your works. And we're just, we're just a tool in your hand that have the privilege and the joy of exalting the name of Jesus who has come to exalt our name with him and bring us beside him 
and sit by the right hand of the Father and that we might do works that matter and this world might be changed because they would see we've been called from sin into life. Let that life exalt the name of Jesus. And it's in his name we all pray. Amen, amen, and amen.